0: We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC Podcast. This week, you'll hear from David Platt.
1: For a long time, the idea of slavery seemed to me a relic of a bygone area centuries before my time. Never could have imagined that there are more slaves today than were seized from Africa in four centuries of the transatlantic slave trade. I never could have comprehended that 27 million people live in slavery today, more than any other time in history. Never could have fathomed that many of those millions are being bought, sold, and exploited for sex in what has become one of the fastest growing industries on earth. But even when I heard those numbers, they still seemed distant. As long as they were mere numbers on a page, I could insulate, I could isolate myself from them. Quite honestly, I could live like they didn't exist, both the numbers and the individuals they represent. It all changed, though, when I walked through Malia's village in the Newbury Valley of Nepal. For the first time in my life, I came face to face with the horrifying reality of what happens in those mountains. I heard story after story of girl after girl. When I got back to the city of Kathmandu, I walked past restaurant after restaurant with slaves waiting outside to provide services and cubicles inside. I saw where Malia once lived. I saw where Malia now works. No matter how hard I try, I can't get the sights out of my mind.
0: Human trafficking is an evil that we're often blind to in the United States. But Christians can't keep their eyes closed when it comes to this issue. David Platt, in an address at the 2015 National Conference titled End It! The Power of the Gospel to Address the Crisis of Human Trafficking, calls Christians to fight to see this tragedy ended. We hope you find this message helpful.
1: I stand before you today on behalf of Malia. Malia's name means beautiful. She was born in northern Nepal, high in the Himalayan mountains. From the moment she entered the world, Malia and her family struggled to survive, lacking clean water, sufficient food, basic medical care. So imagine her mother's hope when a young man came through the village and saw Malia outside washing the family's clothes in the local water tap. Malia's 10 years old but she looked even younger than that at that time. The man knew where Malia lived so he went to her home and introduced himself to her mother. Tashi Dele, he said as he bowed with his hands clasped Tibetan Buddhist greeting means blessings, favor upon you. Her mother replied in kind to the man, Tashi dele. then the man began to speak in Nupri, the local language in this region of Nepal. I've noticed that your daughter's very beautiful, he said. She is, the proud mom responded. She's a hard worker too. She takes care of her younger siblings. She helps me with whatever I need. Yes, the man said, I've noticed your husband is gone. You have three kids to take care of by yourself. I want to help provide for your family. Malia's mother was intrigued and asked, what can you do? The man said, there's an opportunity for work down in Kathmandu, the large city at the base of these mountains. So many jobs. They could provide so much money for families like yours. Malia's mother leaned in, now listening intently, and the man said, I know you need to stay here to provide for your children and protect your land, but I'd be willing to take your daughter down to the city. There she could do some of the same jobs that she does around the village here but she could make much more money she could send that money back to support you and her brother and sister at the same time the man continued she would be well taken care of with plenty of water and food in a nice home along with other girls her age without question the man had Malia's mom's attention she was listening and thinking, could this really be true? Could this be the answer to what my family needs for me and my little boy and my little girl to be provided for? All our, our oldest daughter is cared for by this kind man in the city? As these questions swirled in her mind, though, she immediately thought, no, I can't be separated from my precious daughter. She means so much to me. So when the man finished his proposal, Malia's mom looked back at him and said, thank you so much for your kind offer to help our family, but I'm not able to receive it. My daughter needs to stay with me. The man was clearly disappointed, but he said, I really want to help you and your family, and I'd take good care of your daughter. Why don't you think about it some more, and I may come back another day to talk about it again. Malia's mom, hesitant to acquiesce even to that request, but not wanting to shame this man, politely said that would be fine, and she sent him on his way. In the days to come, as hard as Malia's mom tried, she couldn't get the man's offer out of her mind. She would look over at beautiful, hard-working Malia and think, I suspect she would want to go with that man knowing that she could provide even more for our family. And the man seems so nice. I bet Malia would enjoy his company. Maybe somebody like him would even marry her one day. But she couldn't bear the thought of sending her 10-year-old daughter away while she was so young until one day the man returned to Malia's home again while Malia was away doing chores. And he approached Malia's Mom with a smile greeted her. Then he said, I've been thinking more about our conversation a few weeks ago. I understand you're hesitant to send your daughter to the city with me, but I've come today with a pledge to you that I will demonstrate my desire to provide for you. As Malia's mom sat down across from the man, he said, as a pledge of my promise to provide for your family here and your daughter in the city, I want to give you 10,000 rupees. Malia's mom's eyes immediately widened. 10,000 rupees is the equivalent of about a hundred dollars amounts to approximately half a year's wages for Malia's mom she thought this man is more generous than any man I've met in my entire life and the man went on in addition I promise to bring your daughter back up these mountains with me once a year to spend time with you and her brother and her sister I know that's important to you about that time Malia returned home and saw the man conversing with her mom Malia's mom looked over at her after a long pause, asked Malia to come sit in her lap, and she said, Malia, this man has come to offer help to you and to our family. Malia smiled hesitantly as her mother continued. He's willing to take you to Kathmandu, the great city at the bottom of these mountains. There you can live and work with some other girls your age. You'll have all the food and water you want. You'll live in a nice place where this man will take care of you. You'll do... Same kind of work you do here, but the difference is you'll be able to make a lot of money so that you can send it back to help your sister and your brother and me. And then after you've worked for a while, this man will bring you back up the mountains so you can visit us and see all the ways you're helping us. As her mother spoke, Malia's eyes filled up with tears, she immediately thought, I can't leave my family. But the more her mother talked, the more she realized this was a wonderful opportunity to help the people she loved most. Sure, there was risk. Malia had never been out of the mountains before, but even if things didn't go well, she'd be able to come back to the village soon, live with her family again. So Malia's mom gazed at her daughter, both of them now crying, and she said, I believe it would be best for you and our family for you to go with this kind man. Malia looked up into her mom's eyes, believing that her mom loved her, and knew what was best. And so she said, I'll do whatever you want for me to provide for you and my sister and my brother. The man put his arms on Malia's shoulders, smiled, and said, I promise to take good care of you. Arrangements were made over the next couple of days, and the man returned with his 10,000 rupee pledge. A tearful departure ensued as Malia hugged her mom, her little sister, and her brother, and then she set off down the trail with the man. As they walked together over the next few days, the man gave Malia instructions on what would happen as they approached the city. There will be places, he said, where police are looking for identification. We don't want to get stopped by them, so you'll need to hide yourself in a group of people as best as you can. That'll help us get to the city faster. So that's what Malia did at every checkpoint. She innocently wandered into a pack of people where she could slip by officials who weren't very diligent in their jobs in the first place. It was easy which was no surprise to the man who was escorting Malia. He had done this with other girls in the past, and he knew most of the police officers anyway. It was evening when they arrived, and they immediately went to a restaurant to get something to eat. But this restaurant was different from other restaurants. It was called a cabin restaurant. It sat alongside a row of restaurants where families would come and eat. But the booths in this restaurant were unique. They were like... More like cubicles than tables, wood frames starting at the floor, reaching all the way to the ceiling, divided each booth from the next with a bench wrapped around it. Other girls, all of them older than Malia, sat at the front of the restaurant. She assumed they were resting after a long day of work. She smiled at them as she walked past them. The man led Malia into one of the booths where she sat down. Soon a large plate of food was placed before her famished from the journey quite honestly never having seen this much food on one plate before she ate it all and the man escorted her up to her room upstairs it's a small room with a cot-like bed in the corner a dirty stained sheet covered the thin mattress and the man said you can give me your bag i'll get you some brand new clothes that you can wear tomorrow in the meantime sleep well tonight i'll see you in the morning malia obliged she was tired to say the least and though she missed her family, she was thankful that she'd finally arrived at a place where she could help them and provide for them. She thought, I need to get a good night's rest so I can work hard tomorrow like those other girls before coming back here for dinner. And with this, she quietly fell asleep, never dreaming that this would be her last quiet night for years to come. The next morning, Malia awoke to the man's voice. He came into her room, his hands full of nice, new, and tight clothes for her to wear, He encouraged this precious 10-year-old girl to clean up and get dressed and come downstairs to the restaurant where they could talk about the work she was going to do. She promptly obeyed and came down again to one of the booths where the man sat waiting for her. Malia sat across the table from him, and he began to give her instructions. Now, in order to provide for your mom and your sister and your brother back home, all you need to do is what I say. I've already paid your family a lot of money, so you're going to need to start working today to pay that back. And then, once you make more money, I can send it to your family. Malia nodded her head and asked, What would you like me to do? And asking that question, Malia never could have imagined what the man's answer would entail. It would start that evening during dinner with the man who gave her alcohol to drink with her meal. Then he escorted this nine-year-old girl Upstairs, her senses now impaired, where he took off her pretty clothes, took away her innocence, and raped her in her room. He left her there for the night, arriving again the next morning to ask Malia if she would like some breakfast. Now frightened, still unsure of what exactly had happened the previous day, but knowing that her body had been hurt badly in ways she'd never experienced before, she followed the man downstairs to eat. He told her that she'd done a good job making money the night before. But she needed to do more work if her family was going to have what they needed to survive. Malia cried because she didn't want to do more work like she'd done the previous night. But the man threatened her and said, You better not cry or you won't make the money you need to make. If you want to provide for your family, you do what I say and you don't cry. The days that followed, the man repeatedly raped Malia sometimes more than once a day, each episode accompanied by drinking, and in the weeks that followed, drugs added as well. At first, Malia tried to fight. She didn't want to do what the man wanted her to do. She just wanted to go home. But the sheer force of the man overpowered the fragility of her body as day after day, week after week, she was beaten into submission. It didn't take long, only a couple of months before her spirit was completely broken. And the stage was set now for other men to get involved. They would walk into the restaurant where they would find Malia, this beautiful young girl sitting at the entrance, looking down at the floor with a string of condoms hanging from the ceiling above her head. The man would grab her by the hand, and she would quietly follow him into one of the booths. There he would eat and drink, and then either take Malia upstairs to her room or stay right there in the booth and force her to do whatever he told her to do. After he was finished, she would go out and wait for another man, and then another man, and then another man. Sometimes on a busy night, 10 or 15 different customers would have their way with Malia however they desired. This was her life, and there was no way out. The man who first smiled at her back in her village months before had gone back to find other girls And Malia now worked for other men. They told her if she tried to stop working at the restaurant, they'd go back to the village and bring her little sister there to take her place. They assured her that her work was providing for her family back home. Little did she know her mother never received another rupee. And meanwhile, for all her mom, little brother, and little sister knew Malia had completely forgotten about them when she got to the big city. Even if Malia could have escaped, where would she go? She had no clue where she was, no idea how to get home. She knew no one but the men who owned her. She had nothing to her name. The only thing she had was her shame. She was clearly a cursed woman in a culture that believes your present place in life is what you deserve based on your behavior in past life. Kay Garnet, she would think to herself on many days, common Nepali phrase that simply means, life is what it is, and you deal with it. So she dealt with it. Eventually becoming a teenager, now successful at her trade, but stripped of all her hope. For a long time, the idea of slavery seemed to me a relic of a bygone area centuries before my time. Never could have imagined that there are more slaves today that were seized from Africa in four centuries of the transatlantic slave trade. I never could have comprehended that 27 million people live in slavery today, more than any other time in history. Never could have fathomed that many of those millions are being bought, sold, and exploited for sex in what has become one of the fastest growing industries on earth. But even when I heard those numbers, they still seemed distant. As long as they were mere numbers on a page, I could insulate, I could isolate myself from them. Quite honestly, I could live like they didn't exist, both the numbers and the individuals they represent. It all changed, though, when I walked through Malia's village in the Newbury Valley of Nepal. For the first time in my life, I came face to face with the horrifying reality of what happens in those mountains. As I heard story after story of girl after girl. When I got back to the city of Kathmandu, I walked past restaurant after restaurant with slaves waiting outside to provide services and cubicles inside. I saw where Malia once lived. I saw where Malia now works. And no matter how hard I try, I can't get the sights out of my mind. What was interesting though I flew back from Nepal, I landed in Atlanta, and I drove to my home in Birmingham, Alabama, where I was living on Interstate 20. I've grown up, going up and down this interstate that spans all the way to West Texas. I had no idea that it was known as the sex trafficking superhighway of the United States. The same road that represents freedom for 10 million travelers every year reflects a reality of slavery for countless girls every night. Right here, where I, we live, it changes your perspective to realize that the young, that the man and the young woman at the table next to you at the rest stop may not be what you once thought. So how do we fight slavery like this, here and around the world, without question, no easy answers to questions about slavery, no simple solutions to this epidemic problem, yet I am deeply convinced that the gospel alone provides the depth of perspective alteration and heart transformation needed to eradicate slavery. In short... Slavery, fighting slavery begins with believing the gospel, with seeing that the good, holy, and loving creator God alone is the owner of all people. Fighting slavery continues with applying that gospel, with living The truth that all people have been made in the image of God and thus are to be esteemed and never enslaved. And fighting slavery requires that we proclaim the gospel, that we do all we can to tell the utterly hopeless that ultimate hope is found in Jesus Christ. Which leads to the shocking reality of the way the gospel addresses slavery. Because in scripture, God takes slavery, an evil picture sin in the world and he turns it into a powerful image of his salvation for the world the very center of the gospel is the person of jesus christ who though he's fully divine emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave taking on the likeness of men the word slave there doulos comes from the same root word as others use in the new testament to talk about slaves who had masters quite literally the bible said jesus became a slave of humanity in order to save humanity this is the essence of the gospel the climax of the christian message is that the master over the world has become a slave for the world god has come to us in the flesh as a man made like us in every way except without sin he's walked among us in this world of sin and suffering he has suffered for us he has died on a cross in our place for our sin he's risen from the dead with an offer of eternal life for all who confess him as lord and in this way the gospel reveals what or rather who the malias of the world most need and that cabin restaurant Or on the other side of the interstate, they don't need news of gods who condemn them in their sin and provide requirements for their salvation. They, other girls like them, by the time they become adults, will have been raped repeatedly thousands of times. They don't need a king who's waiting for them to come to him. They need a savior who pursues them. Like a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to search for the one. Like a woman who turns her house upside down looking for a lost coin. Like a father who goes sprinting after a wayward son. In their endless feelings of filth, they need a savior who will look at them with compassion in his eyes and says, Say, I will make you clean. With hopeless feelings of shame, they need a savior who will restore their honor on this earth and renew their hope for all of eternity. And this is the same Savior that traffickers need as well. The men and women behind the trafficking industry need to see the severe nature of their sin and God's coming judgment upon that sin. At the same time, they need to see the gracious sacrifice of God to ransom even their souls. They need a Savior who will forgive their sin and transform their lives that they may no longer take advantage of these girls but might advocate for them instead. Only the power of the gospel can affect that kind of change in those evil hearts and the same can be said for the men and women who use these girls in prostitution and for men all across even churches who watch these girls in pornography When it comes down to it, we all need this Savior. We need God in his mercy to serve us with his salvation and to change us from the inside out. That we might follow him as the only Lord over all. That we might love the people around us, recognizing the dignity he has bestowed on all of them. When this gospel changes our lives, it changes the way we encounter our culture. In this way, scholar... Murray J. Harris puts it, the gospel lays the explosive charge that ultimately leads to detonation and the destruction of slavery altogether. It's the portrait of Christ in the gospel that compels us to fight for the detonation and destruction of slavery in the world. He is the pursuing savior. And as men and women who are identified with him, we must pursue the enslaved. On behalf of Malia, and count others like her. We cannot be silent and we must not be still. We do not have that choice. The gospel compels us to pray, to give and to work, to see sex slave released from their captors, restored to new life. In the midst of our praying, giving and working we're compelled to proclaim christ who alone has the ability to bring complete freedom we're compelled to fight in all of these ways with the truth of the gospel on our minds the power of the gospel in our hearts and the love of the gospel in our hands
0: Thanks for listening to the ERLC podcast. To find out more about human dignity issues, including information about the 2017 Evangelicals for Life conference, visit evangelicals.life.